0: Miami and San Diego State punched the final two tickets to the Final Four, meaning that Andy Patton, three of the four last teams standing, have never been to the Final Four. We about to get a first-time national
1: champion? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's up welcome into the locked on college basketball podcast the only daily national college hoop show he's Andy Patton yes I pointed the correct way I'm Isaac (laughs) shade and we are so happy to be with you although we're also sad because there's only three games left. In the NCAA tournament, before we pack it in, bring you, Andy, we got to get a a, a way too early top 25 ready, my friend. Oh, that's right. Oh, goodness, (laughs) we're almost to that point. Anyway, seriously, folks, we are so glad that you're here. We're going to have a whole week's worth of lead-up to the final four but before we get there we got to wrap up the elite eight weekend so we'll do that we'll talk about texas blowing a 13 (laughs) point second half lead we want to answer the question i asked in the cold open are we going to get a first time champion but before we get there we got to start with san diego state becoming the third team to punch the ticket to the final four in Houston, which will be at Energy Stadium for the first time since 2016 when Chris Jenkins hit one of the most memorable shots in NCAA tournament history. San Diego State, 57-56 over the Creighton Blue Jays. And, Andy, I, I think perhaps the place we need to start is at the very – almost the very no. end after a lengthy review, which I just sat here banging my head on the table. Can we just finish <laughs> off this game? Andy. A foul was called on Mr. Nemhard right Mm -hmm. in the final couple seconds. Was it a foul or was it not? And then beyond that, we got to get into the conversation of do you swallow your whistle Mm -hmm. in the closing segment? So before we ask the the philosophical question there, was this or was this not a foul?
1: It was a foul. I mean, let's
0: move on. No, I'm just kidding. Go
1: ahead. (laughs) The traditional, like the way that, I mean, the way the referees are taught to call the game, that's a foul. He, he put his left hand on the, on Trammell's hip. He, he kind right. of pushed him a little bit. I think it was really soft contact, but it impacted the shot. And you, I think you have to make that call. Now, the issue, I think, is that it wasn't consistent with how they had been calling the game throughout. Mm-hmm. And... This is not even remotely close to the first time referees have been somewhat inconsistent with how they called referees don't usually call a game the exact same for 40 minutes. It just doesn't happen very often. Perfection is a hard thing to expect from referees and I think we see so often where there's frustration about, hey, they let them play in the first half and then they started blowing the, the whistle a lot more in the second half, the ref show. like Every conference has these conversations. Every conference says, oh, it's just what Big Ten refs do. It's just what WCC refs do. It's just what Pac-12 refs do which pretty much means that people are just complaining about officials (laughs) I don't know that it's super consistent across the board but this was frustrating because it doesn't seem like the kind of foul that they were necessarily calling earlier in the game but at the same time you can't let defenders mug a guy this wasn't a mugging necessarily but you can't let defenders get away with a whole bunch at the end of the game because you don't want to determine the game on a whistle if you don't want the final plays of a game to be determined if you don't want the game to be determined at the free throw line you have to not foul and nemhard made a really nice contest on the shot from behind he got his hand up in there he really impacted the shot but he used his left hand and put it on trammell's hip if he had not done that I think the result of the shot would have still been the same. I think Trammell would have missed at that point. If Creighton would have gotten the rebound, you know, there's other factors. We don't know. It would have been a tie game. They may have had the ball. They may have had a shot to, to, to win. And it's frustrating that that's not the way it went. Uh, frustrating for Creighton fans. I imagine not so frustrating for San Diego state fans and, and, and a shout out to Darian Trammell, of course, a, a player we talked about last week after they beat Alabama, but a young man who, who started his career at junior college and, you know, became a dominant force in the WAC at Seattle U and has now led his team to a win over Alabama and then another win over Creighton to go to the Final Four for the first time in Creighton's history. Really incredible story. San is- Diego State. Yeah, sorry, San Diego State. <laughs> it is a bummer that this game ended with, A, the last 10 seconds took like 15 minutes. That is a a an epidemic in college basketball. It seems to happen all the time, and it's a really frustrating way to see good, exciting college basketball games end. It is. And it's not even the referee's fault. They had to review the Baylor Shireman, you know, 90 footer foot pass. They had to review that. They had to look at it. I don't blame them for that. it got, it's got just, a cannon, man. Holy. was no. <laughs> a hose from Shireman. Yeah. But it's just an, it's an unfortunate way that this game ended, but a tremendous shout out to San Diego state for what they accomplished.
0: Yeah. And, and, and you bring, you approach that in a very interesting way that I hadn't even processed or thought about yet of, like, I had thought about it in these terms, that foul call. Mm-hmm. Like, if a foul that you would call seven minutes or 13 minutes into the game, you have to call at the end of the game.
1: Mm-hmm. Refs
0: have to adjudicate the exact same for 40 minutes, regardless of time and score. And I had thought about it in terms of, it feels like refs often swallow their whistle in those moments and, like, let the boys play and let mm-hmm. them figure it out on the court but the refs have to insert themselves at the same level that they would anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I hadn't taken it to the flip side of that, that you just talked about of, yeah, but they also can't lessen the amount or, you know, like if they haven't been inserting themselves in that way throughout the game, then Mm -hmm. they shouldn't there either. And so, um, man, that, that is a really interesting way to look at that. I I just never want to get to the point where we're saying, no, let them play, let them figure it out. Well, if that's the case, then the defense is at an advantage every, every advantage time for the defense. Yeah. And, and that's what I can't get to um, mm-hmm. like, so just in a vacuum, is that a foul? Yes. I think mm-hmm. is the bottom line. And so regardless of how they had been refing throughout the game, which I, mm-hmm. again, I love that point that you made by itself. This to me is a foul and was the right call. Now mm-hmm. Tremel almost made it very interesting. <laughs> missed that first one. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this poor homie is mm-hmm. about to miss both of these. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to go to OT, which I would have loved. But still yeah. like um, and also here's the other thing I wish that had happened is that it had literally been zeros on the clock and mm-hmm. nobody else is on the line with them. Like yeah. I, moments like that are just so, oh, yeah. so fun, so fun, so rare. Um, Andy, obviously, that's that's all we've talked about so far with this game, because, I mean, it was a massive, massive talking point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think another one of the biggest talking points of this game is is how miserably both teams shot yeah. in the second half. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at one point I checked in. Um, it was like five minutes to go in the game. The teams were combined 25 and a half percent in mm-hmm. the second half, 13 of 51 finished shooting 20 of 65. And I, I can't remember who I saw say this, but somebody on Twitter basically said, at what point is this good defense? And at what point mm-hmm. is this just bad offense? Do you think in, in, I think it's more important, obviously, for San Diego state who moves along to now face an FAU team who just gets up and down. Mm -hmm. At at what point do we look at this and say, yeah, man, SDSU can guard like crazy, but are they going to hit shots? Like what, what did you see in that second half?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of it was, was fatigue. I think Creighton is a team that, that plays very little of their depth. In fact, their bench literally took one shot combined that's it from there. From everybody on the bench, their starters. I think the lowest minutes for any of their starters was Nemhard at 35, and he of course had to sit Correct. for a little longer because Correct. he hurt his wrist and was yeah, able that looked bad man, for a second there. Yeah, he basically looked like he was playing one handed for the for the rest of the game. But McDermott was riding his guys, riding his starters, and I think we saw some of that fatigue. We saw them miss shots that they otherwise make. Trey Alexander, Ryan Nemhard combined to go over eight from three in this game. I mean, we could do that with just about anyway. The whole team went two of seventeen. Like this is <laughs> Gonzaga levels of horrific NCAA tournament shooting right here. And I, I mean, San Diego state wasn't much better. They were three of 13 from three. It was an ugly shooting night that favors San Diego state. Uh, I think for them, they have such experience and such. I mean, they have good depth. Micah Parrish had a, had a really rough game here. He had four fouls uh, and no points in 16 minutes, but he has mm-hmm. historically been a, a player that they've really relied on a lot. Same with the He had six and three coming off the bench here. And so I think for the Aztecs, We're looking at a team that has a little bit more depth, uh, some really good physicality. And yeah, they're probably not going to go out and shoot 45% from three. Do they need to against Florida Atlantic? Hard to say. My guess is no, because I think that they have the toughness and the physicality to hang with the Owls. But that's going to be, I I think it's going to be another kind of low scoring, grind it out type of game. And and I think there's a chance that 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 might favor San Diego State and put them in a position to, to be in a national championship game.
0: And, and it's interesting. You, you talked about the Cre- Creighton played nine guys, right? The five mm-hmm. starters plus four. San Diego State also played nine guys. And I yep. think so often we get caught up in those conversations of how much of your depth are you using? Mm-hmm. But we also got to look at that minutes distribution. I'm so glad yep. you brought that up, Andy, because San Diego State played the same amount of guys as Creighton, but mm-hmm. only Trammell Played more than thirty minutes. He played thirty-one, and every all nine players that played played at least fourteen minutes for That's San Diego different. State and Brian Dutcher, and that that is a significant difference between how these two coaches use their bench. Not that one is right or one is wrong, mm-hmm. but in terms of that fatigue factor that you just talked about, that certainly comes into play in a big way.
1: Isaac, it was a fantastic first game of the day, but not to be outdone, Miami storms back after being down as many as 13 against the Longhorns. They take down an extremely talented Texas team to make their first ever final four. We're going to talk a lot more about that game, but first, today's episode of Lockdown College Basketball is brought to you by Built Bar. The Built Bar March Madness bracket is here, and we know that you have a favorite bar or puff, and now is your time to make it count. Go to builtmarchmadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know I'm going to be voting for the churro bar. I know Isaac's going to be voting yeah, for the churro is. bar. It's and good. if you want your favorite team to win, then you'll be voting for that bar too. Support your team, support your bar or puff. And when you vote for your favorite bar puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built. Not only that, but one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. you got to try Built. It is the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they are so amazing, and you will not think that they're good for you. What makes Built Bars and Puffs so good? Well, for starters, they're high in protein, they're low in sugar, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right. Real chocolate. So run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. All right, Isaac. Texas-Miami, the game that we were all so excited for. No disrespect, of course, to San Diego State and Creighton. That was a very, very fun game, but this matchup featured titanic backcourts. Epic front court players. We knew Dylan Dessou was not going to go in this one, uh, and that played a, played a role for, uh, without a doubt, I think for Texas in the way that this game went. But man, it, it felt like the Longhorns had this thing in the bag. They shot well in the first half. The guards were finding open shots. Teddy Allen was was doing an awesome job of, of getting his looks, uh, and and then it fell apart. Jim Laranega. He is inevitable. It feels uh, this team was down by eight to Drake. I think in the last five minutes of their first round game, they were down 13 at points in this game. And then here they are. They come storming back. Jordan Miller plays a literal perfect game of basketball and the Canes are in the final four. What did you think about this performance from Miami's team?
0: For a while, I thought it was just like, man, what a run, what a knockoff uh, beating of Houston on Friday night and Congrats to Houston for making the Elite Eight in back to back, or Houston, excuse me, Mm -hmm. Miami for making the Elite Eight in back to back years. And you know, you're looking at what Texas is doing even after the loss. Mm -hmm. Andy, the final numbers Texas shot 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 73.3% from the free throw line. You look at those numbers most games and you're like, yeah, we just won a basketball game. Yeah.
1: They had more rebounds. They had more assists. Like, yeah. like oh, their assist percentage
0: was great. Like, yeah. well, at one point, yeah, they assisted on exactly uh, two thirds of their of their made mm-hmm. field. Like, everything in the numbers tells you it's right. Mm-hmm. But Miami just dug in. Uh, you talked about Jordan Miller, and and we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about him. Um, he, like, he's kind of this unsung hero to the backcourt of Wong and Pack. He's this. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of missed because of Norchad O'Meara, who, uh, that's another, you know, we just talked about all those numbers for Texas. Norchad mm-hmm. O'Meara almost fouls out of this game, but yeah. doesn't have the level of impact. But oh my Jordan Miller, <laughs> 7 of 7 from the field, 13 of 13 from the free throw line, played 39 minutes, finishes with 27 points. Uh, and the number, I think it was, I heard them say on the broadcast, only Christian Leitner has mm-hmm. had, a game of perfection with more made field goals or something like that. Um, And if anything, I thought Miami didn't go to him enough. He (laughs) was six of six from the, from the field at halftime. Right. Mm -hmm. And so why is it one field goal
1: in the second half? It's crazy.
0: And yet that's when they're coming back. Mm -hmm. So dude, I don't know. And, and, and you look at it, we, we started noticing this at halftime. Miami is a team that chucks threes and shoots a lot of them. They only had three attempts at Mm -hmm. halftime this is a team that their previous season low andy was 13 and they finished this game only taking eight yeah and you asked me about the miami game that's why they won Mm -hmm. they didn't settle they kept attacking they andy they took 32 free throws and made 28 of them if you're going to take 32 free throws and make 87 and a half percent, you're going to win a lot of basketball yeah. games, my friend. And that's exactly what Miami did. I thought down the stretch there was where um, Texas really started to miss Dylan Sioux a lot as mm-hmm. Miami was attacking. I think they finally realized like, oh, we can go get it. And, you know, uh, finally, I'd, I'd also like to credit myself uh, because uh, for, we joked about it over the weekend on – friday i believe it was Ooh. san diego state was down nine to alabama and i tweeted something about like oh it feels like danger time for the aztecs and that's when they went on their uh run to take the lead and never look back well basically when Norchad omir picked up his fourth foul in this game miami was down 12 and mm-hmm. i tweeted something about it and literally
1: yeah out of that next time out
0: was when they went on that run and so uh we joked about it on that show but folks i'm deadly serious If you need to come back from a major downfall, look no further than some reverse psychology from your friend, uncle Isaac right here. But um, Andy, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Where, what did you see? What did you notice takeaways that maybe I haven't hit on yet?
1: I think one thing that the broadcast brought up too, is is the way that Jim Laranega uses timeouts and that he's very intentional about only using timeouts when he wants to make some kind of change, some adjustment, whether it's personnel, whether it's switching defenses, running something different. And he used a a critical timeout in that Drake game. And then the team went on an immediate run after that. And he did it here as well uh, against Texas. And I think like the coaching in this game was phenomenal. Rodney Terry's a fantastic coach. We've talked about that a bunch on the show. I don't think that this loss changes uh, the trajectory for him and the, the thought that he should be Texas's new head coach at all. Um, but Larry Nega is proving that he's like Hall of Fame good. I mean, he led George Mason to a Final Four in 2006. He's turned this program from a, a desolate program in the ACC to a team that has now made the Elite Eight twice. And of course, the Final Four with a very real chance of contending for a national championship. And, and, and the way that great coaches, they, they, they use those timeouts correctly and they make the correct adjustments in the middle of a game. And I think you touched on the three-point shooting. And to me, that was a huge part of this game is, is that Miami identified, hey, trying to bomb threes over this defense is not going to work. We're instead going to attack. We're going to get to the stripe. We're going to put this team in foul trouble. They're missing some depth down low, force them to rotate defensively, force them to guard us around the paint. And it worked. It worked. And part of the foul, I mean, part of the foul discrepancy, I think Texas fans might look and say, wait, we took 15 free throws and Miami took 32. Uh, Of course, part of that is that at the end of the game, Texas was forced to foul. And that was probably eight of the attempts at the very least six of them. I think it might've been eight of them. So that makes up a big part of the difference too. But part of it was just a very intentional strategy by Miami to not settle for outside shots. And which was smart because they weren't making them. Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong combined to go one of seven. Uh, the only other one Poplar made the only other attempt. That was it for for Miami. In that Ooh, game. So, yeah, 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 big shot for him too. And he, he had a fantastic game, sixteen points on six of seven shooting. He deserves some love. Yeah, very as much. Well. So. Also had four assists and two steals. Really nice performance. And he had
0: Poplar. that. Uh, I think we've seen it twice this weekend. Yeah. That off the back. Yes. dunk On an inbound. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, he's done that twice now. Um, but I think this was just an, a, a clinic by Jim Larinaga as a coach to, to figure out what this team needed to do in the second half, the adjustments they needed to make. Texas didn't play bad. They really didn't. We talked about the field goal percentage. Uh, I thought there were some questionable very late game decisions, namely having uh, Cunningham we're take two shots in the final like minute when they – have Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter and Dubai rice and all those other guys. And, and that was unfortunate. I don't want to dunk on him because they weren't terrible shots, but he just isn't the guy that I thought should have been taking those shots for them. Uh, But I think this was an absolute clinic from Jim Laranega and really cemented him as, as uh, I mean, he he was already high on that list of fantastic coaches in college basketball, but doing this uh, against a team like Texas with a program like Miami for the last couple of years is, is, is iconic.
0: It really is. And Andy, I just got to say on a personal note, my wife is a big Longhorns fan. So it's uh, as you had a sad night in your household on Saturday, uh, things are a little bit sad here at at old Shady Acres, we call our house. So Uh, anyway, big congrats to to miami uh you hate that it ends for texas with the guy that's been their best player uh Mm -hmm. having to sit on the bench but i mean that's the deal right like kansas bows out without their head coach ever coaching in a game and Mm -hmm. and that's the deal and and with that it's the final big 12 team uh the best conference in basketball falling off the page but uh you know what it's okay they're in good company because just about the rest of the major (laughs) conferences are gone as well andy we asked a question off the top. Are we going to have a first-time national champion team, or will it be the Yukon Huskies, the only team left that's won a national championship previously? We're going to ask that question. Talk about some other Final Four nugs. That's right. That's just a dumb nickname I came up with for <laughs> Final Four nuggets. We'll do that in just a second. Andy Patton, what a weekend of Elite Eight games Three out of the four of them were within a point or tied in the final two minutes with, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just not talk about that other game on Saturday <laughs> evening. That was not that close. But here's where we're at. We already knew and now we know a little bit more of who it'll be. But out of the Elite Eight, we did not have a coach that has won a national championship before. It's just been narrowed down now to Miami's Jim Lerniega to San Diego State's Brian Dutcher, FAU's Dusty May, or UConn's Danny Hurley. One of those four men are going to be a first-time national champion. Congrats. And already, just by making the final four, they are in a a, a coaching tier that people can only dream of. And uh, I've heard Jay Wright talk about it this By the way, he has been phenomenal. He's killing Uh, and would you expect any less? He's just no. such a, he's a genteel man mm-hmm. and I love mm-hmm. him. Uh, it's so great to have his coaching insights, but he was talking mm-hmm. about, I think it was yesterday at one point, um, like there's a final four luncheon during mm-hmm. final four weekend, only for coaches who have been. And so yeah. all four of these men are going to be a part of that. So cool mm-hmm. uh, to see now. So one of them's going to win their first one. Only Laren Yega out of this group has even been to the final four before. We already talked about that. And as we just said, only UConn has previously won a national championship. For the other three schools, not only that, I mean, it's like FAU. They had never won. We talked about this yesterday. They had never won a NCAA tournament game before this season yeah, for Miami. Crazy. They had never made it to an elite eight before last season. For San Diego State, they had neither uh, they had they had never been to the Elite Eight. The Mountain West had never been to the Elite Eight, much less the final four. And so it's just like, bro, this is mm-hmm. awesome for yeah. college basketball. And I hope so many people are are like finding their way to our sport because mm-hmm. we love it and we hope you do too. But it all brings us to this question, Andrew.
1: <laughs> Full name.
0: Full name. There we go. <laughs> Will we get a first-time champion, either San Diego State, Florida mm-hmm. Atlantic, or Miami, or will UConn, who's been like the poster child of winning out of nowhere, here we mm-hmm. go again, although this UConn team has clearly been playing down the stretch as one of the best mm-hmm. teams in the country, which way is this going to uh, go? At this point, You know, we we previously had said a top two team
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: or one of the top two seeds versus the field. At, mm-hmm. Now we ask the question, UConn versus the field of three.
1: It's it's hard to bet against the field. Like you would think that you three it are is there's a 75% chance that one of these three teams wins or a 25% chance for UConn. But I'm going with UConn. Like I, I think UConn's going to win it all. And I it's hard to bet against them the way they have played in the NCAA tournament. I mean they have just rocked everybody that they have played. They powered through Rick Pitino and the Gales. They powered through Randy Bennett and St. Mary's. They powered through Eric Musselman and Arkansas. They really powered through Mark view and Gonzaga. I mean, they just ran over everybody. They played, they did it with different styles. They did it with different players stepping up. Sometimes it was Sonogo. Sometimes it was Sonogo as a facilitator and it was other players stepping up and doing more of the scoring. Like they have, they have beat, Every team they have played different styles. I mean, there there are t- very few teams different in college basketball than just Gonzaga and St. Mary's, just in terms of their style. The the, the you know Gonzaga is so focused on trying to get out in transition, having this high level offense, not as good defensively. St. Mary's is much better defensive team, slow, methodical pace. Uh, you know, Iona was was kind of a mixture of both of those things. Arkansas was this high level defensive team, very very athletic team, a lot of big bodies, a lot of physicality, and, and UConn just it didn't matter. It hasn't mattered who they're playing. They're gonna play the best guards that they've played throughout the tournament. <laughs> I mean, and that's the, that's the biggest thing for the UConn Miami is a, is a is a masterful game because UConn that's one of the few areas where they haven't really been challenged. And that's the, with no disrespect to Arkansas's guards in particular, Ricky no. Council, Jordan Walsh, Anthony Black, Nick Smith. Uh, not all those guys are playing up to their level, but really, really, really talented guards. Mark Few, we know that the Gonzaga's guards are a little bit questionable. I don't think St. Mary's guards are quite on that level, although shout out to the guards that they have there Mahaney and, and Logan Johnson but so good this is going to be tough this, this is a be different ballgame yeah but for me I have a really hard time betting against UConn with how they have played in the NCAA tournament
0: yeah I, man this is such an interesting matchup because obviously on Sunday for Miami being a little undersized didn't matter all that much against Texas because mm. this is a, a guard game between those two schools yeah you're putting Norchad O'Mir at six seven up against seven foot two Donovan Klingon.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: mean, yikes. And now and now Sonogo uh is his size isn't coming to me off the top of my head. He's like six um,
1: ten, I think.
0: Yeah. And so um, let me verify that six nine. So that's a little less of a height advantage, mm-hmm. but uh omir's gonna have his hands full against yeah. that. But like you just said, Andy. Good luck to the UConn guards Mm -hmm. against Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, and Jordan Miller. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. Ain't no way Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong are going to have back. Both of them have back-to-back games of Mm -hmm. subpar shooting performances. There's just no way that's going to happen. And if Jordan Miller does even three quarters of what he did on Sunday, Mm -hmm. that matchup is going to be elite. That said, I'm with you. You just keep throwing the ball inside to Sonogo and Klingon and saying, mm-hmm. have fun, young men. <laughs> do what you do. And here's the other thing with Yukon versus the field. I know it's like the field is guaranteed to get a national championship game contender. Yukon's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. not guaranteed to get it. And so just right. based on some of those percentages, mm-hmm. but I I just don't see how you could bet against Yukon at this point. And so I mean, that's just what we got to look at with it, Andy
1: yeah absolutely and, and it's just so fun to look at this group of coaches like i'm just staring at the names in front of us laranaga dutcher, dutcher may hurley and and one of them is going to walk away with a championship and, and i just think that's so it's such a fun group because yes yukon has obviously been uh been fantastic they've won a lot of championships in the past this is a a a blue blood program. I think that's fair to say. I think there some people might debate whether they're a blue blood team or not, but uh, the question that I want to ask you, and then I think we just, we call it a day here. Uh, we got some fun facts that we want to give you guys. But we're going to save them for another episode. Yeah, we uh, are. Because we got a whole bunch of great content coming your way this week uh, as we preview, of course, these final four matchups, but Isaac, I wanted to ask you regarding this four coaches right here. Yeah. Who would a championship mean the Ooh. most to like in terms of not necessarily them individually because all of them you know it's going to mean a lot to them but just yeah. like from our perspective of this group of coaches like who winning a championship would would elevate the national perception of that coach the most
0: mm. the the way you turned that at the end might change my answer <laughs>
1: <Does that laughs> I make, sense? i'm trying to figure out how to phrase it and uh, yeah
0: yeah because in terms of like what it, I, to me, it's got to be Naga, just mm-hmm. with his history, everything he's done mm-hmm. being his second time getting to the final four. Like what a great story that mm-hmm. is with his age and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. But then the, do you remember how you phrase that? There was something you said at the very end.
1: I said like who had changed our perception of the most, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like, I mean, I, I think any of them, because at yeah. this point, None, none of them have won at this level yet for right. dusty may it would change perception of like here's this young coach mm-hmm. kind of coming up for the first time with with danny hurley it's like mm-hmm. uh, like here's this guy like how cool remember last year he said we're coming yeah, I, i'm remembering that press conference mm-hmm. and it's like dude that would be rad to see that come to fulfillment mm-hmm. and for brian dutcher who had been with uh, steve fisher for so long yeah both at Michigan and then followed him to San Diego state. And Mm -hmm. to just say kind of like in this Jerome Tang, Scott drew sort of way, like here I come out of the shadows of coach Fisher and I'm winning this for both of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so maybe there's that to it as well. So in terms of perception, Mm -hmm. I think I'd have to go Brian Dutcher. Yeah. In terms of just like cementing legacy, I got to go Larry Niega. What about you?
1: I, yeah, I think that's a great pick. I think I'm going to lean towards in terms of how, how they're perceived nationally. I'm going to lean towards Dusty May only because coming into the season, he wasn't really perceived nationally. Like Yeah, like people, you know, people within the circle of college basketball probably knew his name, knew that Florida Atlantic had had some success. But like the, the reason that he's a little harder to pick is because even if they lose, if they lose to San Diego State, if they make the championship and lose, his legacy will have changed so dramatically just from doing what he's done. Like it's already elevated so much. Yes, it would elevate more with winning a national championship whose legacy wouldn't. But for, for somebody like Laranega, who's already been to a Final Four, who's already proven he can bring a team to this level, he can rebuild a Power Five program like Miami, there's only one step left. And it's, you know, it kind of goes back to the Mark Few thing. Like Mark Few can make as many national championship appearances as he wants. Until he wins, nobody really cares. And, and, and I get that. I understand why that is the perception around him and why that's the perception around any other high-profile coaches. He's just the one that sprang to mind. But, um, but for somebody like Laranega, like this is the last step. He's, he's accomplished everything else for Dusty May, he's got a whole career in front of him to potentially accomplish some more of those things. So yeah, this is only his fifth full-time year as a head coach. It's <laughs> crazy. So it comes, and I, I mean, all of them, it's, it's, it's a fun story regardless of who wins. And I think that's what makes college basketball so great. If one of these four coaches is going to win and it may not be the team you want dear listener, uh, but whoever wins, it's going to be a fun story. And then that's what makes college basketball so dang great.
0: And if FAU wins, What kind of phone calls is Dusty May getting from bigger programs? I mean, regardless. Every one of them. (laughs) Regardless of what FAU does from here on out, Mm -hmm. he's going to start getting all these phone calls. Keep in mind, if things Mm -hmm. don't go well for Todd Golden at Florida, that's where Dusty May came from as an assistant. Anyway, that's a long-term play. Just keep that in mind. Andy, can't Mm -hmm. wait to talk about all of this throughout this week leading up to the Final Four.
1: We got so much more content coming your way, folks. We're five days a week still, maybe seven days a week as we get through the actual championship here. We got so much previews of these games, talking about these matchups, talking about how these teams got here. It is going to be an absolutely fantastic week leading up to the Final Four and the National Championship. Check us out on YouTube. Find us, subscribe there if you haven't done so yet. Leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us comments. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't done so yet. We got, again, so much fun stuff coming your way to finish out the month. All right, so that is it for us today. So for now, Peace. peace out.